This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked me not to read an ad, so I'm just going to thank them for their constant friendship and support. Enjoy the show. I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is Jameson Webb, and he talks to me about his love of the Marx Brothers. I am admittedly not very well versed, so Jameson did a great job of breaking down the different eras of the Marx Brothers' career, uh, which brothers kind of came and went and when, what their roles were, uh, especially among the chief trio of Chico, Harpo, and Groucho, uh, with Groucho being the most verbal and the reason that we get so many quotes attributed to Groucho uh, versus the other Marx bros. We talk about some of their writers, some of the other people who frequently starred with them, some people who were definitely influenced by the Marx brothers, whether they realized it or not, ways that Jameson was influenced by them, specifically as a younger person at his first attempts at comedy. I think one of my favorite aspects of this whole conversation is a sketch that Jameson wrote in high school being entitled The Inappropriate Remarks Brothers. Uh, And you can kind of fill in some blanks around that as I did. And uh, it, it was just really wonderful, really enlightening. It made me double down on needing to go back and watch some of their classics, Duck Soup, Animal Crackers, the whole gang's there, and I just have never made a point to do it. Jameson also recently departed the Second City main stage for two reviews he did there, and uh, maybe he, you know, was able to unpack some things that he gleaned from that experience and uh, from having the Marx Brothers as a defining thing for him so early on and here now. Because ultimately, it's just supposed to be funny. Speaking of funny, if you want to see some, you come to the Annoyance Theater on Thursday nights at 9.30 to see The Fishbowl. It's an improv show where we book four-ish improv veterans, uh, teachers, directors, performers, typically from the annoyance itself to play with four improv students and get a sense of uh, what it's like to play with some more seasoned people in the community. Those students are typically also annoyance students, but if you're within the sound of my voice and you're a student of something, you should come and throw your ID into our fishbowl and get a chance to play. My team, Sight and Scene, closes out that show every week, and it's one of my just very favorite things that I do. You can also check out all of the other podcasts that are in the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. There are many wonderful takes on old films, comedy, but Chicago culture, a lot of things that we unpacked in here. You can find more interesting conversations on in the annals of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. I think that's all I've got. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy Jameson Webb. No, my weekend was good. Uh, we uh, This is like my first weekend 
kind of being done no show. with no show. That's I ended up I doing uh, the show on Saturday night <laughs> because it's just true because they had some industry people and all of that. But but it was great. Well, that's but a, it was great. a nice reason to do it. I was like, did you? Did they not have an understudy? Or no, what? no, 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 no. It was just a special one-off thing. But it was great. Very good weekend. Beautiful weather. Went for a walk with my wife. It was very lovely. I'm sure even with just do, having to do one show. Or two shows, maybe, yeah. on Saturday. I'm sure it totally changes the game. It does a little bit, but it was good. It was Billy Joel. I saw Billy Joel at Ridley Field Friday night, so that was yes. a good gateway into the weekend. That's that awesome. Yeah. Your first free weekend night in a yeah. long time. Yeah, Go and I'd never seen Billy Joel, so it was great. I haven't either. One day, I, I thought about going to that show, Yeah, but uh, I got to get there. You got to do it. It's, it's about as laid back as I feel like a million dollar rock production can be where he's he had a fly swatter and was hitting bugs Shut and was up. just like yeah I mean it was super like he made fun of Elton John he kind of did go Cubs go and was like alright we're in Chicago okay uh, you know like that's, that kind of thing that yeah. sounds so. very accurate based on what I know about Billy Joel yeah. and his music and yeah, just, how much he does sh- live shows still yeah yeah I think it was just like alright I'm here I'm not going to treat this like it's just his Friday it's probably like the tenth time he's done Wrigley. Or yeah, something. the sixth, the sixth, and it was just like, all right, you know. But it was good. It was good. How was your weekend? Uh, it was all right. I've been. I don't know if uh, listeners can still hear it in my voice, but I've been fighting off a cold, so I mostly stayed inside. Oh, okay. I had to work on Saturday, so I kind of went in begrudgingly. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sound. I don't notice anything, so I don't want you to feel self conscious. That the listeners are like, uh oh, is she okay? Thank you. Uh, you I appreciate you some, it's that. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Have you ever been watching a TV show and noticed when an actor was definitely sick when they were filming? Yeah. Oh yeah. They and they sometimes try to write it in a yes. little bit, like you're fighting off this cold. <laughs> yeah. They say uh, on all the Cheers episodes from like mid '80s on, like. Kelsey Grammer was always on cocaine or hungover. Sure. But, you know, they'd hit action and all of a sudden he'd be like, you know, he was yes, hello, you know, like great and fine, all that. And they'd call cut and he'd be back to like, ah. but it's funny. Sometimes I'm like, ah, Kelsey seems a little, you can a little see puffy eyed here. Fog. Right. Yeah. A little, exactly. You know, <laughs> he, he was out and about all weekend. Uh, yeah. I feel like I noticed it more than once on Parks and Rec where Amy Poehler would just, like, clearly have a cold, just clearly be fighting a cold. And did they mention it? Um, I I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, because they have a couple of notorious flu episodes okay. where everyone had it, but I don't remember them ever. I mean, she was pregnant a couple times on the show, that, so that can't have helped sure. just with her general well-being right, yeah, yeah, exactly. during filming. But, yeah, I don't remember them going, like, well, Leslie's sick, so we got to pick up the slack. Right, exactly. It was <laughs> just no need to say it. Yeah. yeah, right. Which I agree with you. I appreciate it. It's just like, oh, she was sick. Yeah, it, it happens. Yeah. It's like in real life. Like, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, like, all right, we're having a meeting. Whoa. <laughs> Robert, you have a sniffle. Yeah. Hey, we should talk about this for a few minutes. Yeah. You just kind of let it go. It happens. See, I appreciate that. That is not what the guy at the convenience store close to my apartment thought oh, was no. the right way to go about it. How, and how did this go? How did this play out? <laughs> he was like, Oh, good morning. And it was like 11.30 yesterday. I was just picking up something for breakfast. And uh, uh, I was like, yeah, we got about 30 more minutes of it, huh? And he was like, oh, you just look tired. Oh, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Everything out the window literally said, you look tired. And I was like, well, I'm not feeling well, so thank you. Yeah, good. <laughs> Jeez. 
What a fun, what a f- good morning. Not for you. Yeah. Clearly. Pretty aggressively, you look like trash, right. but. Sudafed's on aisle three. <laughs> yeah. We have three aisles, so it'll be easy to find. Yeah. yeah, I was actually kind of grateful that I wasn't trying to buy like cold medicine from this harsh cashier. Right. But it was just, it struck me that everyone around me was buying scratch off lottery tickets and I just wanted to buy buy cheese to go with our breakfast. Right. And well, we all gamble in our own ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, my lovely guest today is Jameson Webb. Hello. And we're going to talk about his love of the Marx Brothers. That's correct. Right? Yes. I hope so. Yeah. Oof, me too, man. Otherwise, oh no. <laughs> we've, we've gotten ourselves into a real mystery yeah. here. Where is the origin of your love for the Marx Brothers start? Uh, it starts when I was a little kid. Uh, I would have a hard time sleeping at night. I, I would wake up early and I just, I was a very, uh, you know, I didn't have like imaginary friends as a kid. I had nightmares. Like oh. that's how like that active imagination manifested sure. it. Yeah. So I would always I think wake. That's called anxiety. I think that's right, <laughs> and I uh, and my doctors would agree. Um, <laughs> um, so I'd wake up super early in the morning at like four or four thirty, you know, five a.m. before my parents were up, and I'd sneak out and I'd put on TV. And this is back when, uh, like, Bravo still showed like old movies and inside the actor's studio and when AMC would show old movies and when TNT would show Little Rascals and, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. It hadn't all of a sudden flipped into, you know, they were doing reality their original TV, programming, reality original TV. Programming. Exactly. Um, so I remember waking up once and and going, putting on AMC and they were showing um, uh, A Night in Casablanca, which is the the second to last, but for all intents and purposes, kind of the last Marx Brothers movie. I think it's from like... 45, 46, it's kind of have a World War II, Casablanca, espionage kind of thing going on. And I was aware of the Marx Brothers because my grandfather had all of these movie books, you know, 500 Greatest cool. Films and all of that. Yeah, and when, AFI's Countdown or whatever. Exactly. So, you know, and I would always read the TV guide. I was always into reading about movies and stuff. So I knew who the Marx Brothers were, but I hadn't, uh, you know, and I was... I, I, was probably seven, I think. I was in wow. like, yeah, I mean, I was young. I was like second or third grade. And um, watched Night in Casablanca, and I loved it. And they would show it all the time. And so I would just always watch it early in the morning. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, this is obviously like before, you know, streaming yeah. and stuff like that. And if you wanted a movie, you had to, your parents had to drive to Blockbuster, <laughs> and it was all of that. Um, but I Or remember, scour the TV guide before egg, the week. And exactly. See and then, I used to do that. Oh, Highlight yeah, completely. Stuff. Yeah, highlighted or, you know, and you couldn't just click you know, record, you have yeah. to, okay, do we have a blank VHS tape? We don't? Okay, are we okay uh, taping over this World Series game? Okay, great, put it in there. Y- you know, that kind yeah. of thing. It was a whole production. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we really labored over, yeah. <laughs> you know, taping uh, movies. Um, My dad still did that once the age of, like, DVRWs came around. Yeah. Like DVDRW, I guess. Yeah. He would take out a re-recordable DVD and say, oh, can we go over this? <laughs> right. By the way, I'm going to point out real quick, 
Mary Beth, when you held up uh, in the air the 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 fake DVD, it looked like you were giving me the middle finger. And for a second, I was trying to figure out why my dad why your dad so was like, "All right, we're gonna do this, this this thing." Can I curse on this? Yeah, you can. Why are we gonna do this damn thing? Okay. Uh, so anyway, so there was a moment there where I thought this was about to take a really weird I turn. I wasn't sure. That, that is how I held my hand up. Yeah, great totally. object work for the improvisers. <laughs> Rewind it back. Uh, but no, I really thought you were, your dad was like upset, like, thanks a lot, Sony. <laughs> anyway, so we're good. But yes, but he would do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did I re, uh, I would, I had a VHS tape that I recorded an, ep- <laughs> an episode of Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place yes. because Bare Naked Ladies was a guest. And I, I was remember. a huge Bare Naked Ladies guest. And then from there, it goes to, uh, Beck, Austin City Limits. Yes. And then from there, it goes to the, uh, the MTV, one of the award shows where the hives and the vines had a battle of the bands. Whoa. And that was like a cherished VHS. Yeah. That sounds like you figured out who you were like at an early age. Yes. A white man. (laughs) (laughs) As as I was recounting, I was like, this is the, the worst, like, I was pretty cool. I had taped BNL, BNL on two G one (laughs) G APP. And then I got back on Austin City Limits, and then I got into my rebellious phase. So I taped the, the hives and, and the, the vines, hives. battle of the bands. <laughs> the hives won. Um, but yeah, so 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 in when I was for my birthday, whatever my second grade birthday would have been, I asked my parents for. Uh, uh, duck soup and animal crackers oh because because I had read in one of the movie books that they were considered you know I remember duck the, soup coming up a lot yeah you know one of the greatest and funniest and it was like okay I'll start there and I don't know why I picked animal crackers <clears throat> as well but you know here I was I was a seven year old kid getting these VHS tapes of these movies and I remember you know you get it at your birthday party and sometimes you start playing with your toys and I remember I went into my bedroom and I immediately put on the movie, probably Animal Crackers, I watched first, and uh, as soon as I got done, I, you know, it's like an hour and a half. I started again, and my mom was like, "You need to come out with, you know, your, your like friends were still exactly, there. yeah." Well, my family, I didn't really have oh, any yeah. friends, but uh, <laughs> that tracks. Yeah, I the, relate to that too. Though. The movies were my friends, <laughs> books were my lovers. And, uh, yeah, but no, but it was like that's how into it I was, and from there it was just consuming as much Marx Brothers stuff as as I could. That's awesome. Yeah. That it was something that you found that early and clung to. Yeah, I can almost guarantee I was the only kid in my elementary school in Florida who was binging on Marx Brothers movies. Pretty sure about that. That's where my head's at, too, is a seven-year-old was watching this classic comedy and just digging in. And, and I don't think I told any of my friends. It's not like I went to school and was like, you guys got to watch this movie. That came later. In high school, I tried to convert some of my friends to Marsh Brothers, and that did not go well. But but I think as a kid, I realized, like, eh, this is kind of, you know, I don't know if this is going to really play with the crowd, yeah. you know, at school. You guys want to so talk kinda, about football? <laughs> exactly. You know, and it was weird because, like, I was into sports and all of that. Not that you can only be one or the other, but it was like, cool, I can talk to kids at school about sports. Sure. But I can't talk about the movies I like because then that'll be a big target on my head of nerd. Right. You know, right. Which is what, you know, at that time, you didn't want to be that. Now it's 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, now but, yeah. Comic-Con is like the biggest pop culture event, period. Yeah, exactly. And I think everyone's just, the internet is a lot everyone just say for for better and, and unfortunately in many cases for worse. This is who I am yeah. and I can find a community. And so there's very little of, I, I, I shouldn't say little, but there's I think less of than maybe when I was growing up that thing of I better not tell anyone that I like this music or this band or whatever the case is because I'm not going to find any, you know, common spirits out there and kindred spirits out there now i think you kind of you search and you have it and great and and you have that you know yeah and i think uh hearing you speak to this now reminds me that you kind of spoke to that where weezer was concerned when he did the your story show yeah here that in the age of this internet for sure but even in early stages of the internet yeah you could seek out a place, a forum, mm-hmm. or whatever it was for people talking about a thing that you've always wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, message boards, like before there was Facebook and Twitter, like I think message boards were, the, I mean, I've had friends who like were like, oh yeah, I hung out on the, the Ben Folds message board, right. or, you know, I hung out on, you know, and at the time it was like, I, none of my real life friends knew it, but I had this whole array of people online that I could talk to about Weezer B sides and and you know why are they not playing this song anymore and what right. do you think the direction for the next album you know that kind of stuff. Did you um, do that with the Marx Brothers? Did that exist? No, I didn't. I, it might have existed. I didn't. I didn't. I think by that point, I had already. Uh, I had already soaked up so much Marx Brothers stuff over the previous, you know, whatever, eight to ten sure. years. Sure, you'd that, been into it for so long. Exactly, that it was just like, okay, this is like breathing, you know. <laughs> at that point, it was like, where's my semi Sonic fans at, you right. know? yeah, um, that uh, makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, so I think by that time, I was, you know, the internet, I was, it was... It was the fresh stuff to me or the stuff that, yeah, you Yeah, know. that you're newly getting into. Exactly. That that totally makes sense. Was it a universal comedy nerd feeling or was it just the Marx Brothers that you kind of dug into? No, it was a universal comedy nerd feeling. But, you know, I remember watching like Abbott and Costello mm-hmm. as a kid and Laurel and Hardy. And I, I just I had this affinity for just to me because of these books I was reading – you know, what seemed to be the pinnacles of this, you know, of this art form and all right. of that, you know. So, you know, but it was funny because, like, I was always afraid of Charlie Chaplin. And when I mean afraid, I don't mean, like, afraid of, like, oh, what if I don't like it? Like, afraid of him as a <gasps> physical entity. Whoa. Like, there was just something about his look and how quiet he was. and um, Very specific calculated yeah, movements and stuff. Exactly. Just, you know, he, he was a clown essentially, right? Yeah, that's and, a good point. And that as a kid, at least I was a, I was as a lot of people, I was afraid of clowns. And so I was afraid of Charlie Chaplin. That and, totally makes sense. You know, You're 7. Yeah, that yeah. guy's kind of creepy. I mean, exactly. <laughs> and even Groucho kind of scared me a little bit because, you know, he's got the the mustache Some and the hair look. and there's a little bit of, he's wearing a little bit of a mask kind of thing, right? Sure. And, you know, but but you know, like, one of the most iconic exactly, masks like a lot of the people mask, argue. Exactly, yeah. which is something else, too. I think, like, you know, I was aware of that mask, you know, the Groucho mask, and then all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's who this is. I, right. I, I feel like I probably had this click of recognition as a kid and going, oh, okay, this is – it's like when you – it's like, for example, like, I grew up hearing the song Octopus's Garden, uh-huh. but not the Beatles version. I heard covers on, like, kids' albums. And then <laughs> sure. years later I hear a Beatles version and I go – 
oh, this is a Beatles song. And all of a sudden it clicks and it's like, God, this has always been there. And this is why, you know, there's a weird sure. kind of thing. I think yes. the same thing with Groucho and the Groucho glasses. That um, is so funny. But but loved comedy, you know, and, and especially like, you know, around fourth grade or so is kind of when I was like, I think I want to do comedy. Like, I was going to ask yeah. when it's when you started to try to take it on yourself. Yeah, I mean, really, middle school kids in the hall were like mm. the group where it was like, oh, okay, that's what I, that's who I want to be. That's like that solidified it. But I don't think I would have had that um, attachment or that it would have been as clear to me that that's what I wanted would have wanted to do if I hadn't grown up watching Marx Brothers. The foundation, exactly. And that's a bit. Another thing too is I was always big on teams. Yeah. Like, I'm not really a uh, – there are, you know, individual performers that I love and everything, but but I tend to – I've always tended to gravitate towards groups and, and comedy teams and duos and pairs. And, and I think, um, you know, if I'm going to play armchair, you know, <laughs> doctor here, it's probably that thing <laughs> of like, oh, you know, I was kind of a, kind of a shy kid in a lot of ways. And, and so – Oh, cool! Look at that! Look how they're, look how they're, they're friends. D- they're making it with one another. Exactly, that's great. And, you know, and I think that probably I mean, is. something I bet they that, all go to one another's birthday parties. Oh yeah, exactly. They're good. You know, they're they're all barbecuing on weekends. You know, uh, <laughs> that's really lovely, though. I, I, but I think I that like was that part lot. of it. Yeah, I that doesn't necessarily surprise me. I, I had a guy right before I moved to Chicago, a guy who I would kind of consider a mentor of mine in college, uh, took me out to coffee and kind of like picked my brain a little about what my plans were here. And at some point during the conversation, he was like, MB, I, I know you're going to do this comedy thing, but I think what you really want is to be a part of a band. And I was like, a band like I mean yeah I like music but what are you talking about and he was like you just you want a group like Hmm. you want to be with people and having been here from like seven years removed from that conversation I think he was really fucking right (laughs) (laughs) he got it he totally got it because I'm with you the things I gravitate towards in comedy are you know I mentioned Parks and Rec earlier like Mm -hmm. such a strong ensemble show those are the things that I find myself really attaching to in in terms of wanting to create well and i think especially for chicago and you know not to bring it back to improv but you know people move here and and they move here to do improv because it's um a it's you can do it and it's you know it's it's a lazy person's art form absolutely you know uh uh but you know there's also that ensemble that collectiveness is very appealing and i think that um you know, it's as much a, it's as much filling a, a social need as it is a creative need. I think for a lot of us, absolutely. You know, but I mean, that's no great. I'm not making any big breakthrough. Everyone's gonna go, yeah. <laughs> we know. We know. We're well aware, <laughs> idiot. What do you think it was? Do you think there are things that you could define outside of ensemble that really stuck out to you as man? That's so funny. I want to make comedy like that. Yeah. Or, for, for the that Marx really Brothers, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I think it was. There's a looseness to it where it seems fun watching them. You know, watching the Marx Brothers because the formula of of every Marx Brothers movie, or at least the great ones, is the same. We're gonna take these idiots and <laughs> put them, but they're the smartest people in the room, but they're idiots, and we're gonna put them into this high society, high stakes 
you know, upper class function and they're going to completely take it over, you know. That's all the great ones. And I think as especially as a child, that's very liberating to watch childlike personalities wreak havoc on adults and adults just can't get their arms around it. And I think that probably appeals to a very uh, primal kind of thing of just being that loose and lunatic and all of that and there not being any repercussions. And at the end, you're the hero, right? Like that's, you know, and that's that's a lot. I mean, again, that's the root of a lot of great comedy, but I think for them especially. But I think also, you know, with Groucho, you know, his – I mean, you know, he's a visual comedian. He's all that. But, you know, he is a verbal comedian, right? Mm. And the way that, you know, the Groucho one-liners just – I remember, you know, they they stuck with me because it was teaching you as a child ways that words could play with themselves. And in ways that, you know, you would only really see in cartoons, you know, like as a kid, like if you watched Looney Tunes, you'd get that same kind of yes. like – you know, word, uh, you know, that that fun with words and all that. But with Groucho, when you're hearing things like, you know, uh, the you know, uh, the other morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas, how he got my pajamas, I'll never know. know. That sure. makes you rethink how sentences work and how words mean. And all of a sudden you're like into this world of like double meanings and hominem, you know. Comedy can be just where you put the words. Exactly. Yeah. And like, and for me as a kid, a kid who loved books and loved to read and write, all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, this is uh, – the words become these living things themselves. And so I always you know, quickly latched onto the way Groucho or rather Groucho's writers, but you know, the way sure. that Groucho you know, – we'll just go ahead and credit everything to Groucho. Uh, <laughs> you know, the way that he would play with words and everything was just – that's what blew my mind. You know? And I think that's the interesting thing about the Marx Brothers, at least the, the, the three – you know, core ones of uh-huh. Groucho, Chico, and Harpo, is that they each represent a different um, 20th century comedy thing. Right. Uh, you have Groucho, who is verbal, the one-liners, the the double entendres, the kind of surreal, you know, and that lays the, the groundwork for, you know, everyone up to your Mitch Hedberg, Stephen Wrights, you know. You have Chico, who is very much a holdover of the early 20th century vaudeville, where it's a lot of, you know, playing around with uh, ethnicities and dialects, and it's coming out of the New York Yiddish theaters and German theaters and all that. And, you know, Chico probably hasn't aged as well as the others because Mm. he is so rooted in that vaudeville stuff, but there's still that kind of that style of comedy is its own kind of thing, and he represents sure. that. And obviously Harpo is the pantomime, you know, and the silent comics and all of that. And so I think another reason you latch on is that you're getting three different avenues of comedy with them, you know, as opposed to just the Three Stooges where it's all physical, yeah. you know. And That's as, a really good point. Yeah. I never would have been able to make that differentiation. Well, and it's interesting because a couple of years ago – more than a couple years ago, 2013, I guess, uh, was the 80th anniversary of Duck Soup. Wow. And so at uh, a place here in Chicago that no longer exists, but the Upstairs Gallery, they um, were kind enough to let me host a screening of Duck Soup just to get people in the room and watch it. That's great. And it was fun. It was great watching it, as it always is, great watching it with friends. But it was interesting because the biggest laughs were in response to Harpo's stuff, like far and away. And then Groucho and then Chico. 
But, you know, Harpo is timeless because... All physicality. It's all physicality. And and that was surprising. I thought Groucho's stuff would have gotten the biggest pops. Right. But maybe, it's, you know, maybe now it's kind of gone to the realm of being a little corny or whatever yeah. a little bit with some of the wordplay. You know, into the realm of dad jokes. Right. I, I, you know, as I has, I hate that phrase, <laughs> but but you know, but with Harpo, it was still hitting. And I think that's something. So that's really interesting. Yeah. I was thinking that kind of as you're breaking it down in terms of, I mean, you see Groucho quoted all the time because he was the one who was you know spouting off quotables right yeah you can share groucho you can share groucho yeah. on the internet or in conversation in a way you can't with uh certainly harpo and then you know maybe chico to a lesser extent but you can tell someone a groucho quote and they'll laugh right you can't you can explain a harpo <laughs> bit but you can't if you don't see it but if you can't see it it loses something and with chico you you can do it but you know there's a little bit of that you know, then you're getting to accent, you know. Right. But with Groucho, like you said, it doesn't necessarily It just doesn't, well. you know, because it's so performative. I mean, Groucho is, you know, Groucho saying Groucho lines is is a work of art. Right. But you could probably take those same words, pass it along to other comedians, and they would probably still get some kind of laugh from those words put together in that order. Right. Um, y- you know, but it's funny. I mean, yeah, Groucho is, is so quotable, you mm-hmm. know, um, and that's, that's kind of an interesting thing. I think you know. I think everyone knows Groucho Marx. Mm-hmm. You know, then you know Harpo, then Chico, and then you know Zeppo, and then <laughs> Gummo never made a movie, but you know. But there, but you, you know what I mean. But like, what's Groucho, the story there with the? Well, they uh, a little history. Uh, if I, so, the, when they started out, they were a singing group. So their mother Minnie, um, her uh, she you know not pushed them, but they would sing together. So they started out in vaudeville as little boys. Uh, singing and it was all five of them or not all five it was it well it was i'm trying to remember as i'm saying it i'm also trying to remember i believe it was just groucho chico harpo and gummo um and zeppo wasn't wasn't a part of it because he was too young and so they toured and they sang and they actually jack benny almost a young jack benny almost joined their group as a violin player because these were all young people on the vaudeville circuit that kind of stuff wow yeah and then at a certain point um there's a few, you know, there's a lot of like kind of you know stories about how this happens, but they start getting into comedy, start getting you know Groucho um, with you know these little one-liners Between in their shows songs exactly, and, stuff like that. Oh, and that's then they start so developing, funny. and then they started doing this uh, play called like High School, but you know High is spelled like H I and S K, you know it's really like goofy kind of thing, yeah. And it was, if memory serves, it was. Um, you know, the it was a classroom of, like, European kids. So there was a Dutch and a German and a French, and it was playing around with, you know, the stereotypes and all that. But that's where Chico's Italian character came out of. Oh, my god! And then at a certain point, um, Gummo, Milton, um, left the group. Uh, and then they started making movies. I know Zeppo then came in. Then they started making movies. Gummo was their agent, their press agent, or just one of their agents. Um, so he was involved behind the scenes. And then Zeppo left the group after Duck Soup, and he went on to become a millionaire in um, engineering or no something way. like that. He ended up marrying Frank Sinatra's ex, or Frank Sinatra's future wife was his ex. Whoa! You know, this yeah. is kind of interesting intersections, but but yeah. So anyway, but yes, they the the five of them never. There's a story that maybe the five of them performed together once on stage. Wow! But aside from that, it was just. 
the you know they were, it was always in groups of four, and then Gummo, uh, Gummo and Zeppo were you know based on the time period the the fourth one. Huh. <clears throat> but it, I, that seems kind of crazy for how relatively prolific they were. Yeah. That there was never a time where like, eh, let's get all the kids in yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think it was, I, to me, it's kind of like a Jackson's thing where it's like, you know, Janet never performed, or, you know, the Jackson 5, maybe like they did a talk show appearance with a young Janet, but, you know, there was right. never that thing where she was part of the group or, you know, there's that kind of like, well, this is the group and you're too young and, right. okay, now you're old enough, but, you know, this dynamic is really good. We have oh, a whole thing going. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but then after Zeppo left, they just stuck to, you know, the three of them from uh, 1934 on, you know. What are some of your favorite movies of theirs? Any of the ones they made for Paramount. They switched from Paramount to MGM in the mid-30s, and so their first few movies are with Paramount. Uh, the Coconuts. In order, it's I think it's in order. I'm getting this in order. Coconuts, uh, Animal Crackers, Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, Duck Soup, and then they left and they moved over to Paramount or uh, to MGM. And those first whatever it is, whatever their names, the five movies um, are to me aid the funniest, but they're also they're the production values aren't great. It's early sound cinema, so right. it's a little rickety. In a lot of cases, these were. Um, stage plays or stage routines that were being adapted. So there's kind of a a staginess to it, which I think is good, and it works, and it feels ramshackle, and it feels goofy, and it feels... they're okay with it being a little presentational. Exactly, exactly. And it kind of feels like a live-action cartoon. And I feel like from Night of the Opera on, the movies become too well-produced, and the sets are too nice, and... The cinematography and everything is too good, and it loses some of that charm. Interesting. And they get a little older and all that. But to me, the you know, Duck Soup is is probably their best, and and it's just amazing. But the one that I think doesn't get as much love is Animal Crackers. And Animal Crackers, to me, is funnier than – I don't think Night of the Opera is that funny, which huh. is like – Probably you know controversial exactly thing to say. you oh. know I'll get some letters right um, but uh, yeah, people are are storming down MVS's exactly door. they're very oh god here they come I, I like the stateroom scene um, I just I don't like Night of the Opera as much I don't like Day at the Races as much which are two ones huge that are ones, yeah. yeah huge ones and they're great I just don't like them as much as Animal Crackers for instance which um, I just think is. Um, which was a stage play of theirs that they did, and and I, and the Goodman in Chicago several years ago did a remount cool. of Animal Crackers with actors playing the Marx Brothers playing the parts, right? And it was so fun and it was so well done. That's awesome. And and I just I love Animal Crackers, um, and and Horse Feathers is around there too, where they're at college, uh, and and Groucho is the professor, and and there's a football. I mean, but. I would say Animal Crackers is um, is to me the the, Top of the just heap. the funniest, and it's got I think it's got, and it's also not just the funniest, but it has to me at least the best Chico piano scene. Okay, it has one of Harpo's best harp scenes. The the B story with the romantic interest that you know they put in the movies just to ground it. Right, I think is the most appealing. The songs are the best. I mean, I really think it overall holds up incredibly well. That's awesome. There were a lot of 
animals in the titles of their yeah. movies. Yeah. Do you think that's... Do you think they're just like, uh, what's funny? Uh, animals are weird. I, Why yeah. does that track so much? I don't know. That's funny. I mean, I know that, you know, I know monkey business is obviously a phrase. Sure. You know, horse uh, feathers, horse feathers you know, um, duck soup might be a phrase. Or no, no, no. It's, uh, I don't remember where that came from. I know Groucho had a thing of how do you make duck soup? Uh, you put, you know, you, you put in, you know, Four of this, three of this, you know, eight of this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, put that in, you'll duck soup for the rest of your life, you know. Oh, um, that's um, very funny. You know, yeah, I again. I never knew I, that that was, like, well, the punchline. And exactly, one of those things that, you know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's probably it, – it's probably uh, uh, you can't give them real titles. You right. know, you can't give them – you know, because once you start getting the real titles, then you start getting A Night of the Opera. Right. You know, the big uh, the a big night store. Casablanca. And Casablanca, Go West. You know, uh, uh, the, the later ones have these thematic. very – Thematic. Like, this is what the movie is you're going to see. When you get the titles, Animal Crackers, Horse Feathers, Monkey, but you don't know what you're going to see. And I think that's fine because the movies are so loose that it is just it's a series of sketches. And and what do you, it's like putting a review title together. It doesn't, maybe it thematically connects, you know, but it can just be. The Baseman Cometh. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, but, uh, but yeah, so it's one of those things where I think it's just, it's just one more level of like, this is going to be silly. That's you know? a really man, that's so funny. I did I wouldn't have thought about it as post, you know, that move with more production. It really is they had to title things. And that's probably a literal studio note, you yeah. know? We have to call this a thing that is the movie is actually yeah. about. Yeah, right, right. And it's like, no, you know, and, but like it's funny because and it's another thing funny about the MG like because the whole note notion that the Marx Brothers are funniest when they're just let loose in these high society functions, you would think in theory that nicer production values would add to that. Right. But somehow it doesn't. It it kind of it becomes so sterile and so I don't know, there's just something. It it's it feels the later movies feel restrained in a way that those those Paramount movies do not. There's also The Coconuts, uh, which was their first movie, um, which uh, I haven't seen in a long time and, and is okay. But, you know, to me, Animal Crackers is really where they started they start. to yeah. be the boys. Exactly. Minnie's boys. <laughs> do you think there is something to the kind of universal nature of exploring status where that's concerned. I mean, that was the first thing that you cited when you talked about why was this funny? Why did you find this funny? Mm -hmm. It was like, well, you put these doofuses in a bunch, in a really highfalutin situation, and that's something, you know, taking improv classes, Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, is, you get a note about a lot, or an exercise that you do a lot is like, okay, you be a high status person, and you be a low status, and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's something to be said for the universal nature of that? Completely. I mean, I think especially, um, yes, yes. Like there's there's fun in watching low status people have all the power, mm-hmm. right? There's fun in that, you know. Um, I think especially for the March Brothers, uh, just talking about them in their particular time, that was in the middle of the Great Depression or post-stock market crash. And I think there was something very exciting about watching these 
rough around the edges clowns, you know, poking holes in the rich and the upper crust and the the haves, you know, as opposed to the have-nots. But I think something else that's interesting about the way they play with status, and especially in those early movies, but in, in most of them, is for the most part, Groucho has a high-status profession. Mm. He is a world-famous explorer. He is the president of a country. He's um, a hotel manager. He's a, a, a detective at a department store. You know, he said he was a professor. He's a professor. Them, you know, or he, I think he's the president of the college in, in uh, Horse Feathers. You know, uh, he's the man behind the desk, huh. right? Uh-huh. And the fun, the the flip with status is that he's a he's a a, a uh, low status persona in a high status position knocking down fellow high status people to a feeling of low status huh. which which is interesting to me because inevitably in those movies you know Groucho's the high status boss leader has the job you know Zeppo is uh the assistant the field secretary whatever the case is and then Chico and Harpo are kind of low status. They're dog catchers. They're um, uh, they're, they're they're mobsters. They're uh, they're swindlers. They're they're con men, right? And they align an ally with this high status Groucho to then knock everyone down to their own position. It's I'm I'm sure there are some fascinating readings that have to do with yeah. you know class because it's there. Right. I mean certainly not intentionally. They they didn't go into it with that same kind like, of like well let's really t- stick it yeah, to the man. Exactly. Like they didn't you know it wasn't like Chaplin making great dictator or right. you know some of the writers from that period who were doing very heavy intellectual kind of satire. There's I think but the byproduct of of what they were doing was Really knocking down these kind of uh, these institutions, the opera, the you know the luxury steam uh, uh, cruise liner, the you know war. I mean all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, status is, and I think again in the best ones, status is so much a part of it. It's as much the engine that drives it as the comedy itself. That's really interesting to think about that. It's kind of innate in wanting, them wanting to create comedy and story is that they were like, all right, how do we how do we come at this? All mm-hmm. right, you two are going to be. Yeah. Well, and what's incredible, too, is they had th- the actual writers producing these these scripts for them were were top writers. I mean, it was George S. Kaufman who, you know, was a celebrated playwright who, you know, uh, uh, wrote um, – uh, you can't take it with you, mm. and and these other, you know, you know, he won Pulitzers. I mean, he was wow. a, he was an intellectual. You know, um, you had a uh, uh, Maury Riskin and Moss Hart, and a lot of these writers and and songwriters and stuff writing for them. That I was trying to think recently, uh, recently, like in the last day, you know, kind of in preparation for this, I was trying sure. to think of like, you know, what would the what would be the equivalent of that nowadays? And I, I'm not quite sure what the equivalent would be of like a celebrated writer writing a comedy script for some a other you know like a group or comedic figure you know but but you know it really they i think they had a lot of uh, in the same way that chaplin was celebrated by the art uh, you know the artistic um you know the 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 uh, 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 literati all that you know whatever <laughs> right, it is you know, right. same way i think they had that kind of intellectual uh, uh, endorsement. You know, Salvador sure. Dali uh, wrote a, sc- a screenplay for them. Um, Whoa. And it's called uh, 
continuing with the animal thing, it's called uh, giraffes. <laughs> it's like giraffes and potato salad or something. <laughs> I know giraffes is in the title. And it was a surreal screenplay never produced, but um, he wrote it for them. And Harpo was going to his full Salvador Dali things where he was going to Harpo had a giant dog catcher net, but he was catching dwarfs, and there were giraffes, uh, and and it was just this very surreal kind of thing. But it was, you know, you had Salvador Dali, Man. you know, this iconic Basically art figure wrote fan fiction. Exactly, <laughs> for the that's Marx exactly Brothers. right. Yeah, that's that's a great way to think about it. You know, uh, that is and, really cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's again, it's interesting to think of of. Um, of that kind of because again their comedy is so based in just one-liners and pantomime and you know these very kind of sticky kind of things that it's fascinating to me at least that they were so beloved by these serious artistic types yeah, these Dali, serious writers cool and you know the uh, you know Harpo was a regular visitor to the uh, Algonquin Round Table in New York you know which was yeah. like the center of you know wit and um, and repartee and all Man. of that. Yeah, it'd be like if we had found out that Sam Shepard was like a huge Adam Sandler fan yeah. or something like well, that. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. Like Paul Thomas Anderson made Punch Drunk Love because he used to love watching Adam Sandler movies that to cheer so him funny. up. That is so funny. So that kind of I is think a that's good it. analogy. That's a, that's a great example of like, okay, here is this beloved filmmaker who's going to make this – who, his version of romantic comedy yeah. and his version of an Adam Sandler Man, film. And it works yes. beautifully, you know? It does, yeah. I'd love to see more of that, you know? I'd love to yes. see more of, like, you know, what is, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I can't, now I can't give any examples, but you know what I mean? Just, like, that fun of, like, great, let's take, you know, this filmmaker and this performer and what happens when see they work together and those styles click or don't click. Because yeah. when they don't click, it's still interesting, you yes. know? Yes, yeah. I mean, I was telling someone the other day that they hadn't seen the big short and I was like, you, you gotta see the big short. Yeah. It's just this brilliant comedy director making a, a comedy out of one of the worst things that's happened to our country in decades, you yeah. know, and, and it works. Like, yeah. Uh, cause he's just a really good director. It turns right. out. Right. Well, and once again, that is, you know, big short and, and is, is, a lot about status and mm -hmm. people with the power and right. all of that. And, you know, you look at the, the Adam McKay films with Will Ferrell, and a lot of them are that. It's Absolutely. You know, it's a new station, uh, the men having all the power and learning that that doesn't fly anymore. And, and you know, not that it ever did, but, you know, right. and, and them getting knocked down. I mean, it's— That's a really good point, you know, that we're still seeing those kinds of You're st yeah, it's status still, yeah. battles as, as much as we don't necessarily always break it down like that. No, it's there. I mean, I think it's there in a lot of them, you know, in the richness of it. Absolutely. I mean, Michael Scott on The Office yes. is— you know the boss, but he's he's an idiot who has been promoted beyond his his uh, abilities exactly. And the fun is he has all the power, but has none of the the resources to support that power. And that's where the comedy comes from. You know, um, I think you know it's and it's it always again with the Marx Brothers is even when they get mean. There's, and so much of this is due to Margaret Dumont, who was their foil and who was the the leading lady, lady in a lot of their movies. Essentially, she was the Forks, uh, fourth March brother. But those movies don't work without 
you know, her and Groucho going back and forth without her her eye rolls, without her, you know, like <laughs> sure. once, once they lose the gym, if exactly, you will. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's right. You know, the looks of the camera, you know, once they lose that Margaret Dumont thing, I think that's where the movies also start to suffer. I mean, that's and that's, that's another great example of watching a movie and saying these guys are hilarious, but they would not be as funny if it wasn't for Margaret Dumont, Edgar Kennedy, these other straight, you know, the, the, the quote unquote straight men, the foils who take the abuse but shoot back the the reaction that lets you as an audience member know, okay, that felt mean, but it's okay it's or whatever. Joke. The, exactly, yeah. yeah. Man, I never would have even realized that they had as many as much of a writing team as they did. I don't know. I guess I I think back to I know Chaplin did a lot of his own. He was the kind of guy who would just do everything. Yeah, uh, Keaton too. Yeah, you know, right. Harold it, Lloyd, a lot of those, I mean, that that first crop of silent film, you know, um, comedians were, because of the nature of the business and the industry and all that, they were one-stop shops, mm-hmm. you know. I think what's interesting with the Marx Brothers is that Groucho always wanted to be a writer. He wanted to be celebrated as a writer, and he was, he would... Uh, get in, you know, he submitted pieces in New Yorker and he wrote stuff, but he was never appreciated as a writer. And which I have a lot of sympathy, you know, I'm, I'm that like, I wish I could, I wish I was a great writer. I'm, I'm, I'm not, but you know, I wish I was in that same way of like, oh, yeah, you know. And I think he, he's notorious for getting into a lot of arguments with the writers of the films, but he would not have been able to bring in a script like, they did, you know, and, sure. and um, what's interesting too is that they would take out, at least again for the early films, before they started filming, they would take these scenes out on the road and perform little reviews and shows with these scenes, you know, and find out where the laughs were. So by the Get time they got, exactly, and, and by the time they got to the the filming, great, they had a script that was airtight, you know. Awesome. Which is, like, so cool. And there should yeah. be more of that. I think Mike Myers did that a few times with, like, his Austin Powers. And, really? And Guru. He would go out and do the characters, these surprise appearances, see which jokes hit, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that makes gonna, so much sense to me. I was going to say, I feel like you, you see that a lot in the stand-up world. But otherwise, comedy doesn't really work like that. No, it's too... Uh, they just leave it to the focus groups. And by that right. point, it's too late. You've already, as opposed to... Filmed a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. focus group the material ahead of time right. as opposed to, well, you know, uh, you know, after the fact, well, we need to reshoot this scene. Okay, well, there's millions of dollars, you know. Yeah. If I was running the studios, let me tell you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we do a workshop and everything. Um, but again, it, it's because they came out of their kind of the last crop of comedy stars to come out of vaudeville after that it started being radio and then t you know and so on and so forth right but i think that coming out of vaudeville they had such respect and um uh subservience to the audience laughter you yeah. know like in that moment it was still tantamount exactly and then they they wanted to make sure that that energy was being preserved and those laughs were being moved over you know i think once they're getting to radio where you're the majority of your audience is unseen you're just kind of you're just kind of sticking to what you think works. And that yeah. opens up a whole new different thing and all that. And not to say radio performers didn't perform live. I mean they did, but it's the change in what the dominant medium of the country is, you know, and for sure. And all that. 
you're not necessarily you don't really care if people are laughing over the radio still yeah. playing. Yeah, exactly. Whereas exactly. if it were live, you'd be leaving space for that. Yeah, you you would know like great, we have to pause here, that kind of stuff. But right. I mean, were, did you ever? Uh, what's your relationship with the Marx Brothers? Or? I'm relatively unfamiliar. Uh, like I said, I definitely relate to seeing you know duck soup mm-hmm. and animal crackers in those AFI top 100 type lists. Yeah, I think I came to be a cinephile, if mm-hmm. you will, later in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid. I don't know what I did. I think I just was kind of a everything that came on like Nickelodeon and the Disney Channel. I consumed without much thought. Mm-hmm. I was just like, "This is for me." Yeah, and a, a little bit of the MTV VH1 kind of world as well. But I think I was very in that niche of. I was laughing to myself when you're talking about. Oh, I'm just a white man who loves Beck, right. and and uh, but I fell into like I went to Backstreet Boys concerts and instant right. concerts. That was just I was in that demographic, you right. know. I loved the Spice Girls and the Power Rangers. Yeah, it, it was just I don't think I had much of a a pop culture, you know, personality or tendency at the time. But now later in life. I, I've I've revisited some things in that world, but mm-hmm. not really much Marx Brothers stuff. Yeah, and again, it's funny because I don't as much as I love them. The the later stuff is it's hard. They're older, but yeah. they're still playing these characters, and and you know, it's the age starts to show. Yeah. The, you know, you're seeing the ninth and tenth and eleventh time they've kind of done that. You know, they're it, kind of running out of steam. Exactly, ideas. it kind of loses it a little bit. And and like and the movie just done aren't that as good. Dolly script. I mean, it would have been amazing, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and at a certain point too, they just started um, recycling bits from other movies. Of so like course. Buster Keaton, after he had had his falling out and was no longer a big film star in the '30s, he became an uncredited gag writer on Marx Brothers movies. Huh. And Night of the Opera and maybe Big Store at the Circus, a couple of the movies have gags that are just straight lifted from Buster Keaton films. But instead of Buster Keaton swinging on the curtain, it's Harpo <laughs> swinging on the curtain. You know, and a lot of Buster's writings were for Harpo because they were both, you know, more it, physical. Exactly. That makes but sense. All of a sudden, you're, you know, there's the freshness that's lost, you know, which is, is not to say they're not enjoyable, but they're to me always like, Save those for later. Don't start there because you're not going to want to keep going. I yeah. think in the same way if you were to start with Monkey Business or or uh, you know Duck Soup. Huh. That is really yeah. I mean the ones that I wrote down. I was like, I just have to. I have to visit this in some yeah. way. I have to have foundational knowledge for this at some point in my life. Yeah. Especially as a comedian. Uh, but yeah, Animal Crackers and Duck Soup. I feel like have to. I have to experience crackers and soup. It crackers goes, and soup it goes together. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's all you need. That's all you need. I love that. Uh, that duck soup joke is like not going to leave my oh, memory yeah. for a long time. I remember when Bill Simmons got his HBO show. Yeah. He did this long promo for it that they kept airing before other shows. Or he just said a list of like 30 controversial opinions that he has, basically. Yeah, the sky is red. <laughs> yeah. Just, Michael Jordan was 
you know, was fine. Was fine yes, you know? exactly. One of the things he said was, soup is the perfect food. <laughs> and I have never stopped thinking about it. I kid you not, it does not leave my brain that Bill Simmons thought it was okay to proudly state soup is the perfect food. Right. My fiance and I laugh about it. All the time. Bill, we, uh, we're we looking at your teleprompter here. Are you sure you want to say this eighth thing? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty controversial, Bill. No, I wanted people to know this. This new HBO show is going to be no holds barred, me just saying what I think off the cuff. So I'm willing to go up there and they can come at me. All right. Uh, let's just let's make sure corporate's ready to handle this. I mean, it was, you know... What is he saying? I, I like to imagine it's, you know, the control room's like, did he just say soup? Uh, cut... Bill, can we uh, can we see on the floor, please? <laughs> Bill, you do realize soup is just food soaked in water. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, and that's that's those, those are the kind of truths and insights you can expect on my new show. And that show promptly got canceled. The soup industry, uh, despite trying to keep it afloat, Panera was the only one running ads on it at a certain point. <laughs> Campbell's became the bill. Became the Campbell's Good Time Sports Hour with Bill Simmons, I believe. There probably is something to be said, though, for comedy that happened that long ago didn't necessarily have this pressure to perform, to be different, to be something that no one's no one's ever heard someone say, soup is the perfect food, right. this is great, right. this is gold, you know? Yeah, I mean... You're, it's so early in film and all that that, you know, they're just doing it and defining it without realizing they're defining it. Right. You know? I mean, yes. That's a good way to put it. And there were no, you know, they're the first great comedy group comedians of the sound era because in a way that Chaplin and Keaton, you know, had to adjust or mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, Keaton, Keaton couldn't adjust and his career pretty much ended. Right. Chaplin adjusted by adding sound. And then eventually moving into, you know, dialogue, right. um, you know, based stuff with, you know, Great Dictator. But it was still the Tramp, a silent film character existing in a sound world, whereas the Marx Brothers just were, were – and they made a silent movie in the early 20s. Um, wow. And it was, uh, you know, I think it – no one's seen it. It's like burned. It's, you know, <laughs> just because it was like, you know, it just didn't work. Huh. You know, it was essentially just a Harpo movie with yeah, you know, I was the other gonna guys say, in it. Yeah, I was going to say, what does Groucho do? Yeah. I think he was the villain is how he's listed in the the credits for it. But, you know, they were born into the sound era and, you know, they were – they set the rules in so many ways for film comedy, you know, especially, I mean, you watch Duck Soup, you're seeing the same kind of um, uh, visual non sequiturs and all that stuff that you would see in the Zucker films, Airplane and Naked right. Gun. And, you know, you're... you're Oh, that yeah, that's like a one-to-one. Yeah, completely. Almost. I mean, it's funny, you watch, again, you watch Duck Soup, and you're like, oh, wow, this is a, this is such a what I would think of as a modern joke. Like there's part where, you know, call all the armies, you know, or, you know, uh, we help, you know, we need help. Help us on the way. Right. And then it's a montage of stock footage of, <laughs> of, uh, you know, cops on motorcycles, uh, marathon runners, elephants, dolphins, y- y- you know hilarious. what I mean? Like this, yeah. just this, this uh, completely random, you know, assortment yeah. of people Going back coming to, to the rescue. Awesome powers, you know, D- the cuts between all the, oh, it's like a giant Johnson. Right. Get over here. Exactly. See this thing on the. Yeah. I mean, they the, the movies play around, especially Duck Soup. You know, Duck Soup is probably the most. 
filmic of those early films and that it is playing around with, um, uh, you know, it's parodying a lot of, uh, it's parodying, you know, it's, it's a parody of musicals in it, and but there's also playing around the actual film language of how edits and, and, um, uh, and you know, and also how not editing. Like sure. Duck Soup has the famous mirror scene where it's um, Groucho and Harpo, on either side of the mirror, they're dressed alike through a series of circumstances. So they, it's that classic thing of, you know, they move right. in motion. And then Groucho tries to trick the I reflection. I have seen this. Yeah, and it's amazing. But, you know, it's amazing because it's predominantly one take, right? Wow. You're, you're watching a, you know, there's a couple tiny cuts. But it's predominantly just in the same way of like, I think about this a lot. You know, movies and fight scenes, or, or excuse me, uh, uh, musical numbers and fight scenes. When it's close-ups and quick cuts, you're losing all the beauty and the. For sure. You know, like that's what those old musicals are great. Just watch Gene Kelly dance. Yes. Watch Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Make them dance. laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wide shots, few cuts. Let it just play out, as opposed to like Chicago, which is I love the movie Chicago, but. You know, it's nothing but just close-ups and yes. a lot of quick cuts and all of that. Yes. And, you know, I get it. They're modernizing the musical, all that Rich. shit. But, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, but it, it you become too aware of the movie as opposed yes. to just enjoying the thing. And I feel the same way about the, that particular scene in Marx Brothers is you cut it, you do too many close-ups, you mess with it too much. It's not the same thing. You lose the magic. You lose the... Because it's in addition of being funny, it's also awe-inspiring in a way of like, look how in sync they are. Look at yes. the, you know, it's it's again, and that's another example of like, you know, we we think of Marx Brothers uh, in a lot of ways being so verbal, but that is just one of the most perfect pieces of physical comedy ever put on a screen. And know? it seems like it's such a one-to-one from doing live shows, yeah, from doing stuff like that in person mm-hmm. and then once you try to put it on camera they're fine yeah it's, exactly you know, they didn't need to rehearse because they've essentially been performing it already right right we know this works you know we know this and it was like an old vaudeville routine that the mirror gag but you know they elevated it and made it their own and it's like you know and so anything that now after that is just it's always a you know it's the gold standard so any any mirror scene right. now is always a homage to that scene yes. you know because it is so perfect and and again like something that you know playing around with film comedy and the idea of like let's just film it and let the take just happen that uh-huh. kind of stuff you know do you think that you mentioned that you got into kids in the hall yeah. kind of as a middle schooler and when you started to actually think oh maybe comedy is something i could do too yeah do you think there were conscious, oh, that's kind of like a Marx Brothers bit, or? No, I, um, I, uh, Kids in the Hall definitely have an affinity for classic comedy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are uh, vaudeville, there, there are routines in that show and sketches that have the rhythms and the DNA of just classic, you know, back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. kind of vaudeville stage comedy. But I, I don't think it's um I don't think it's as apparent in the same way of like Stella, which mm. is you know, David Wayne, Michael Ian Black love Stella. and Michael Showalter love them. And I think they were even I think they even said so. I'm almost positive they did. It was very much a what if the Marx brothers existed now? I love you know? I never thought that or heard that, but it makes perfect sense. It is. And you watch it and, and you go, you know, oh okay, yeah, completely like, you know, that is, 
you know, Stella is, you know, especially those shorts. The Marx Brothers get mm-hmm. invited to a dinner party. <laughs> yeah. The Marx Brothers go to a reunion of college friends. The yeah. Marx Brothers have to babysit. Whatever the case is. <laughs> Marx Brothers you know. make a garden in their house. Right. Or a farm in their house. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, the, and right in the TV show, they play around, you know, and it is like it's very much that, you know, they're all those personas, you know, uh, the Stella characters are just in the same way of. You know, they're low status yes. idiots who go in, destroy, have all the power. Yes. There's just more sex toys, you know, right. in the Stella, the Stella uh, yes. uh, uh, bits. Has such a one to one. That is so funny. I am glad I now have that. I'm going to do like a reverse, you know. Yeah. I'm going to have Stel- have watched Stella before I see the Marx <laughs> Brothers, you know. You're ripping off Stella yeah. here. It's been done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, great. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but, it's, like, but they're the ones that most apparent, you know, and obviously there's individuals like, you know, uh, I'm about to name, you know, two questionable controversial figures, but, you know, Woody Allen and Bill Cosby, have spoken a lot about their love of Groucho, you mm-hmm. know, and like Groucho. Groucho was influential, has continued to be an influential in a way that the others haven't, but there's very few groups or dynamics that have that same um, kind of lunacy that, you know, I guess Martin and Lewis were the closest to it, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, where Lewis is, you know, Jerry Lewis was essentially, you know, what if you combine the three Marx brothers into one and then the other guy is Zeppo, you know, (laughs) like that's essentially it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I have a theory that Kramer on Seinfeld is a, is, uh, he works because, uh, he's the three Marx brothers in one. He has the, the crazy hair and Uh the cigar smoking kind of, uh, confident, you know, one liner of Kramer, of, uh, Groucho. He's got the, uh, kind of the, the daft, scheming of Chico and then he's got the physical of Harpo and I think you put those three in a blender you get Cosmo Kramer I think that checks out for sure even with a a name you know Cosmo Kramer sounds like Groucho Marx that's right exactly that's right the same mouthfeel he's Kramer in the same way it's Groucho it's hard you know it's just an entity yes for sure it's visual and verbal and that's not an accident no I, I can't imagine it you know and uh or if it is an accident, it's one that that came about because it's subconscious. It's, exactly, exactly. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's so funny. Uh, do you find yourself when you watch comedy really having an eye for when things were obviously uh, influenced by the Marx Brothers and other older comedy? Yeah, I mean, I don't. You know, yeah, I mean, obviously... Or even performing. I mean, you've performed a lot of comedy. You just finished performing comedy, you know, six nights a week. Yeah, for two two plus years, you know, or two years. Yeah, you know, um, uh, there are times where um, I see the influence, you know. I don't always look for it, but I go, oh, okay. Oh, this is really funny. Oh, this feels, you know, it's... It's a little, you know, I mean, when I see a lot of Adult Swim or that kind of stuff, I see maybe not directly the Marx Brothers, but I see that kind of deconstruction, knock down the fourth wall. um, That makes sense. All of that, I, uh, 
I you know you can trace it back to them. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's where you see it. But you know there, it's very rare that I. I look and I say, oh, okay, this is, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, you're not sitting there with like a checklist. <laughs> well, and it's because, again, they've so, they've so, the Marx Brothers have so kind of just seeped into the DNA of sure. of American comedy that it's, you know, it's there because they influenced this person who influenced this person who influenced this person who influenced the show we're watching now. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Sure. And so I think you go back. The but Beatles I, kind of exactly. thing. I think so. Yeah, I think completely. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's hard to pinpoint the influence because they're so influential, if that makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot you know? of sense. Like, yeah, that makes perfect just, sense. It's just, they're like oxygen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in that way, I think the Beatles are kind of the the best comparison. Oh, in terms completely. Of like creating pop music. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Completely. Yeah, I mean, everyone you know, everyone's doing a, you know, without without realizing it, they're doing they're they're mu- music being created now by and large is you're making music in the post Beatles world <laughs> yeah. in the same way that you're making comedy in the post March brothers world. And I know a lot of people would say, well, Monty Python were the Beatles of comedy. And I think that's a fair because of comparison, the British, the time period, all of that. But I think, you know, the Beatles themselves were March brothers influenced like a hard day's night was the, the, and they've said this, uh, uh the treatment for a hard day's night was treating the Beatles like the Marx Brothers. Huh. So John becomes Groucho, Ringo becomes Harpo, Paul becomes Chico, kind of. George is kind of Zeppo. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Like That's so funny. it's not a one to one, but it really is. Like you know, you watch you watch Hard Day's Night, and you're watching a Marx Brothers movie starring the Beatles. That is really funny. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's something to be said for that kind of influence when it's just like I think you said in the DNA of everything that came after it I I watched When Harry Met Sally for the first time recently Yeah, and I expected to watch it and think I've already seen this in in so many ways Mm -hmm. you know having already seen a couple of the most iconic sequences of it because they're just everywhere you know you watch the Oscars and you've seen the I'll have what she's having Mm -hmm. scene you know and when I saw it I was like no this is amazing this is timeless Mm -hmm. like this is what it is for a reason and I think I would probably have a similar experience going back and experiencing some of these movies for the first time as well it's not necessarily i've seen this before but the people who make the stuff i've seen before saw this right exactly yeah yeah and it and it is like you just because status and all of that is so there in the best comedy those first movies are all that you Mm -hmm. know it's it's all status plays and it's all how can we dismantle the existing order and mm-hmm. we're going to do it. Groucho's doing it from the inside as the explorer is the guest of honor as the president. Chico and Harpo are doing it from the outside as the spies, as the con men, whatever. But at a certain point in all the movies, you know, they start on opposite sides. They always end up together. And by the end, 
you know, they brought down the whole theater and and, and that's them. And it was a success and a comedy. Exactly. And it's done in like 90 minutes, yeah. which is like the great thing too. Like yeah. Mark's Duck Soup is 68 minutes. It gets in and out. That's it gets amazing. in and out. And it's they pack three hours worth of jokes into 60, uh, 68 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, again, like, I like that. Like comedies don't need to be three hours, yes. two and a half, two, you know, whatever the case is. You get in, you get out, you make it, you go on to the next one, you know? <laughs> Do you think there's anything in this conversation that you'd be remiss to not mention? Is there something you were mulling that we haven't really touched on? No, I want to do my impression of uh, old Groucho. Yes. So old Groucho um, in the 70s, so at this point, Chico and Harpo had passed away. Um, uh, you know, Groucho was kind of making the talk show circuit. You know, he was on Dick Cavett a lot. He did a Carnegie Hall. But, you know, old Groucho, is, it's uh, heartbreaking because he's just a very elderly man, but he's also – the times have changed and he's he's kind of being trotted out as a museum piece. Mm-hmm. And so the one-liners and the zingers don't have the same, you know, uh, sting that yeah. they do. It's and, like when Dan Aykroyd was on SNL 40 doing yeah. the, like, Bassmaster. Right, right. It's just, you know, time time moves moves forward. And, mm-hmm. and comedy, I think, especially is an art form where the comedian and the performer – can easily they either evolve like uh, you know and, and grow like a uh, like a Steve Martin or a Lily Tomlin or um, a, a, a Richard Pryor who you know as the times change and they got older they they adjusted their they found a way to make themselves work in these new eras mm-hmm. you know um, and I think especially with the old kind of you know comedians you don't quite have that so they kind of just stepped out of show business like you know. I mean, Chaplin had a bunch of other stuff going on, but sure. he disappeared and, you know, yeah. and all that. But this is my impression. So, you know, this is old Groucho, Mike. I miss my brothers. Yes, I remember back in 1933, we were making duck soup at Paramount with Leo McCary directing. And I said it, Leo. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. But it's so delicate for a guy who's yeah, it was just so sharp. Nah, nah, and yeah, brash. Yeah, but exactly that. Like you know, <laughs> he's like the beginning of Fantasia. Like he speaks, and you see the colors and the shapes and all that. And by the end, he's got his beret, his cigar, he's on the Dick Cavett show. <laughs> There's uh, Frank Ferran as a guy who was made. He's an actor who has made a career out of. Doing one man Groucho shows. Wow! And uh, he like he did it on Broadway, and PBS filmed him, and he's incredible at. It. He kind of plays Groucho through the years. And, and I that's saw a like clip. The guy that the Goodman hired to do Animal Crackers or whatever. Yeah, the guy the Goodman hired was Joey Slotnick, who's a great character actor who was on. Um, who was in Twister. He was Benedict Arnold in the recent E-Trade okay. commercials. You'd yeah. recognize him if you saw him. He's yeah. like a the prolific. The name sounds vaguely familiar And he was amazing with. in the show. That's Molly awesome. Brennan, the, the Chicago uh, performer. Yeah. You know, she played Harpo. She was amazing. No shit, I mean, that's it, cool. It was so good. And they, I mean, it was wonderful. They nailed it. That's but this, awesome. But this guy, Frank Ferran, he would do this and, and uh, he did a, I saw, I can't find it online anymore, which is too bad. <laughs> but it's like him as an old ground show giving a finally old interview to a young reporter and uh-huh. she leaves and he's there on stage and he goes Chico oh Chico Chico I, he used to love to play cards in Hapo 
Sweet Apple. Oh my God. I hope I'll be seeing you boys soon. Hooray for cat. Hello. I must be going. Oh. I gotta go. You know, and he starts saying, you yeah, know, and it's right. very touching, but it's I was also gonna like, say, that's really it's very funny, poignant. but also sad. It's heartbreaking and it's so sad. But anyway, but, but it's old Groucho so is, funny. if you watch him, he's, you know, you know, he's just very, uh, you know, I feel mean, but also, you know, so it goes. So, um, yeah. But uh, old, Time marches on. old Julius <laughs> Marks. How do you feel like your love of the Marx Brothers has influenced you creatively and kind of in general in your life? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've gone from just writing little sketches that were ripoffs. I remember in high school, I wrote the Inappropriate Remarks Brothers. And yes. it was. Oh, um, my God. And it was just a sketch. I trying to remember what it was. It was a sketch. Uh, it was a sketch. For, it was a some kind of uh, self. It was a therapeutic self-help group. Um, you know, thing. Okay. And Groucho was leading it. Ha. But, you know, was being terrible. And then Harpo and Chico ended up coming in. And it was just vulgar. Like, you know, yeah, it was all the... inappropriate remarks. Exactly. Like, yeah. everything, you know, because as a high school, it was like, what if the double entendres were just single? <laughs> so it was like, you know. Um, and I also, and I... um there's something else I've always wanted to write and I don't want to give it away because I really think it's a good idea but I'll tell you off you know okay. I'll tell you off mic Game. but um, but you know I mean just like that wordplay and like the most immediate thing that it's taught me is like especially when I was younger like playing around with words like I said and dialogue and one liners right. and all that but you know, just as you get more into writing and you start saying, okay, great, what does this scene need to work? Well, it, again, it needs status. It needs stakes. It needs, you know, and again, those are things that are just so elemental in the most, you know, basic kind of Marx Brothers exchanges, sure. you know. And a lot of times it's not exchanges they're having with each other. It's Groucho having an exchange with the uh, the art dealer in Animal Crackers where they talk about, you know, where, does he, where do you know him from? I mean, it's, it's a lot of the teaching like, you know what, okay, great, like – you need to have someone who's grounded and then you build on, you know. Sure. It's just like those basic things. Yeah, but, what is the scene actually about? Right, exactly. And and not that there's a lot of that deeper meaning with the Marx Brothers, but there's enough of that, you know, the, the, the straight character here is trying to get this done and they want to do this. Mm, and mm-hmm. then the Marx Brothers thing is Groucho just wants to screw with them. Sure. You know, Chico just wants to screw with them, you know. Right. Like that... Knowing that, it's just a very simple, and it's the most simple basic of, like, the want in a scene. Sure. But it's like the serious person wants this, and the Marx brother doesn't want them to to have that, and they're going to screw it up. And once you start to have fun with that, you know, throwing pebbles at the houses kind of thing, (laughs) then you start to go, oh, okay, you know. But it's also just, like, there's something, too, that, you know, um, the movies are so full of jokes, and if one doesn't work— there's another one 10 seconds later. And I think there's a value, not that everything has to be joke, 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 but like there's a thing like, you know what, just move on to the next thing. You know, like that joke's just, not going to work for an entire audience. And it's not. And the one person who does work for is hooked for life. And the other 99 people, you get them with the next one. And so there's a little bit of that, like cut your losses along the way, just knowing that you're going to have enough stuff in there. It's a good kind of. Um, the movies are because of the quantity. Sure. There's there's quality in the quantity. You know, yeah. like it's not one or the other with Marx Brothers movies. You there's tons of jokes and there's tons of different kind of jokes and some work and some don't and some worked in 1933 and don't right. work now and some work now and they didn't work then. 
but there's so many of them that by the end of that hour and a half, you've gotten a full thing, you know? And the movies never have tidy endings, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Like Animal Crackers literally ends with Harpo zapping everyone with sleeping gas <laughs> and then lying down and falling asleep with a party. I mean, Duck Soup ends with them winning the war, but... It, but it's them winning the war because they catch uh, the enemy leader and throw oranges at his head, I, you know, and, like, that's the resolution. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not everything needs a tidy bow, which right. is nice. There doesn't need to be this huge emotional arc. Yeah. The, the big, I think the other thing about Mark Brothers teaches about comedy is that uh, as, as important as stakes are in, like, little quiet minutia moments of, uh-huh. like, you know, uh, this woman's in charge and Groucho's going to tear her down. Overall, the stakes don't need to be super huge. <laughs> the stakes, huge. like, couldn't be lower. <laughs> exactly. They're really – and the stakes don't feel as low in the later movies where it's like, this is really – these are impressive sets. When right. it's just like, oh, these are rickety back, you know, back lot rooms at, at, on the studio. Then you start to feel a little bit more like, okay, this is just fluff and it's right. the best kind of fluff. Right. That's really wonderful and it totally tracks through um, – you know, the way that comedy is kind of produced and consumed or yeah. at, least in, well, at its best. And around that time, too, you know, Chaplin had moved out of the shorts mm-hmm. into message movies, you know. Yeah. City Lights is, you know, there's stuff in there about, uh, you know, communist uprisings and the notion of how, you know, sometimes we're blind to white, you know, all that kind of stuff. Modern Times is very much about the mechanization and the industrial you know, uh, growth in America, great dictator is clearly, you know, wears its satire on its, um, on its sleeve. Marx Brothers just did it, you know, like Duck Soup. Yeah. And Duck Soup became huge in the sixties amongst college kids because it was seen as, you know, uh, this is anarchy, you know, exactly. They didn't mean that at all. They just wanted to do a funny movie. And so, if the last one was they were at a college, this one, he's the president of Fredonia, you know? <laughs> so there's a nice casualness that just not everything has to be. That's my big, that's not my big, but a big thing I have with comedy nowadays is so much of it, this needs to, you know, be a message. And this we have to see the emotional development of this character. And right. no, I think sometimes just making people laugh and throwing a lot of weird stuff out there is fine. And if along the way you touch someone or there's an emotional payoff, that's great. Awesome. But you can just it walk in front of a mirror, and, you know, as another guy and yeah. play around with each other. There doesn't need to be any kind of payoff of, ah, the duality of man. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really hard to write comedy when that's the place that you're starting from. Yeah. It's almost impossible. No, I think you, if you get there great but Mm -hmm. it's okay to say i want to address this thing and i want to do it through comedy Uh you know but if that becomes the 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 carrot then it becomes uh, you know harder to accomplish yeah it just starts to become like oh okay you know um, and like if if that's where you land was it funny along the way yeah and like you know, some things can start there and they do it and they do it beautifully, you know. Um, but a lot of times it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> like, um, what's the, uh, I've never seen it, but that, you know, that Jerry Lewis movie, it, no one's ever seen oh, it, but, you know, that one is with the... the Day the Clown Cried. Yes, that's yes. what it's called. His bid for Chaplin esque 
pathos and right. all of that, and apparently it's terrible. And it's, it's like considered well, one of the most laughably bad things. Exactly, he's never released it, you know. But the people who have seen it, I mean, again, it's like okay, Jerry Lewis started from a place of I want to make a serious film about this uh, tragic human event, but there's going to be some comedy along the way. I don't know if that is the best way to start. You yeah, know? if you're coming out of the gate saying soup is the perfect food. Right. God almighty. <laughs> I think that's that's about right. That's about right. I'm so glad that you also think that's absurd. Yeah. Yeah, there's no pretentiousness with the Marx Brothers, which is nice. I think when comedy gets too much into a pretentiousness... Uh, it's hard to get out. It's from hard. It. It's hard to do it, and sometimes it can, and those sure. work beautifully, and there's a great emotional release and all that. But sometimes it's like I, you know, it it it's it it fails under its own weight. Yeah, I think that's a really good takeaway. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. This was so much fun. I loved it, and it definitely confirmed that I have to go back and visit some of these things. You can knock them out in a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, 68 minutes. That sounds beautiful. It's Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> right. It's just enough time to not have to take a bathroom break, <laughs> which is how I always view movies. Uh, thank you so much again, Jameson. Thank you. I love you, and I mean that, man. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.